So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 5, where we'll be in verses 1 to 20. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. So it's been a few weeks, but last time in Mark's gospel, we saw Jesus and his disciples travel to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and on their voyage, a raging windstorm arose, and the Lord Jesus calmed it by speaking. You see, when the disciples witnessed this mighty act, they were afraid, and they asked the question, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see, we saw that Jesus is the Son of God who possesses sovereign authority over nature. Well, throughout chapter 5, the question, who then is this, will still be answered as Jesus displays his authority yet again. As we see his authority demonstrated, it should lead us to respond to him in faith. And so who then is this? Well, our passage this morning, we will see that he is the one who has authority over demons. And so Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20, please stand for the reading of God's word. And they came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs, and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain. Because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles, no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him, and he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? He asked him. My name is Legion. He answered him, because we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. A large herd of pigs was there, feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, send us to the pigs so that we may enter them. He gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned. The men who tended them ran off and reported it, reported it in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus, and they saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs. They began to beg him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. Jesus did not let him but told him, go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. You may be seated. And so our big idea this morning is this, that Jesus' authority over demons 
testifies or bears witness that he is God. Jesus, Jesus' authority over demons testifies that he is God. And in our passage this morning, we will see three scenes. The first scene we will see is Jesus is confronted by the demoniac. Our second scene, Jesus cast out the demon. In our third scene, Jesus commissions the healed man. So Jesus is confronted by the demoniac. Jesus cast out the demon. Jesus commissions the healed man. And so our first scene, Jesus is confronted by the demoniac. Look at chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes, and as soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. And so Jesus and his disciples, they have arrived to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And they made it to the region of the Gerasenes, which was primarily Gentile territory. And so as they arrive, Jesus is immediately confronted by a demoniac, which a demoniac is a man who is possessed by a demon. You see, this demoniac, he sees Jesus coming to shore. He recognizes Jesus and makes a beeline for Jesus. And this is not a friendly encounter. You see, throughout Mark's gospel, we've seen Jesus encounter demons a number of times. What are demons? Well, demons, they are Satan's minions, his entourage. They are fallen angels who do his work. And they are Jesus' enemies, and they have the ability to possess non-Christians. You see, they hate God and people. They work to distort image bearers, to bring about their destruction and death. And in fact, they don't discriminate. They are equal opportunists. They despise Jew and Gentile, men, women, and children. They hate all of them. Well, as we get into verses 3 through 5, we will see that Mark, he interrupts the story to provide context about this demoniac. And here we will see how the demon has ruined this man's life. Look at verse 3, where it says, He lived in the tombs, and no one was able to restrain him. You see, notice where the man came from. In verse 2, it said he came out of the tombs. In verse 3, it says that he lived in the tombs. You see, the phrase, the tombs, is mentioned three times in five verses. You see, this is where the demoniac lived. The question is, who lives in tombs? Those who are not alive. You see, only the dead. Dead people live in tombs. But due to being demon-possessed, this man is isolated from his people, and he lived among the dead. And then we go on to see that not only is he isolated from his people, but he also possesses supernatural strength. Did you see it? It says that no one was able to restrain him, not even with a chain. You see, this demon had led this man to have supernatural strength to where he was a violent man and a threat to society, to where he had to be bound and restrained, but they couldn't. And in fact, they end up getting resources. And it says that they couldn't even do it even with a chain. Verse 4, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains. 
You see, for a time, the people or the community, they were able to restrain this man or bind him. But that time was no more. You see, the town's strongest man was no match for this demoniac. He was too strong for them. It was impossible for them to contain him. They got resources. They tried to chain him with chains as if he was an untamable beast. And yet, it says that he often broke them. You see, their ongoing attempt to bind and restrict him with shackles and chains proved futile. He was so strong that he tore the chains into pieces as if it was made of paper. In fact, he wasn't an avenger, but what he would do to shackles is that he would Hulk smash them and free himself once again. You see, their effort to restrain him was unsuccessful. They were no match for this demoniac due to his supernatural strength because he was possessed by this demon. And as you notice, verse 4, it says they weren't even strong enough to subdue him. You see, it was humanly impossible to control and subdue this man. Not one person possessed the strength to do so. And the word subdue in the Greek, it is getting at taming a wild beast. You see, this man, he was incontrollable, untamable, wild and violent. Look at verse 5. It says, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with chains, with stones. You see, daily he was among the tombs and the mountains and the demon had this man living like a wild animal, more like a wild animal than an actual person. He was howling like a coyote and cutting himself with stones. You see, this demon had taken total control over this man. In fact, he was inflicting pain on himself and cutting himself with stones. You see, the demon had this man torturing himself. And from this passage, we see that demon possession will only produce ruin and lead to one's own demise because that is the goal of demons. They want to bring about destruction and death. Y'all think about this man's condition. He is alone, living among the dead. He is violent, super strong, and a threat to society. He is inflicting pain upon himself, cutting himself, killing himself slowly. You see, his condition was terrible. It was disheartening if we really think about it. And as you think, people, the community may have thought that this man may have gone insane. But what was actually happening is that he was possessed by a demon. And beloved, if we were to see something like this today, how would we respond? Would we think the same thing? You know, if we were to see someone who's not a Christian living this out, would the thought ever come to mind that they could possibly be possessed by a demon? You know, seeing that demons are real, and we see in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 11, that spiritual warfare is real, and specifically in the New Testament, read the book of Acts, you see demon possession happening, and we see it in the Gospels. So the question is, if we were to see this today, 
Will we even consider the possibility that the person, this non-Christian, was possessed by a demon? If not, why not? Now, I'm not trying to suggest that all non-Christians who have mental illness like schizophrenia or other illnesses are demon-possessed. That is not what I'm saying at all. Nor am I advocating that we should believe that non-Christians who have schizophrenia or multiple personalities disorder are possessed by demons. I'm not advocating for that. But does the thought ever come to our minds that it could be demon possession? It might. Then again, it might not be. Now, we don't know. But just because we don't know doesn't mean that we should rule it out. And if we were to see something like this, what should we do? Well, for starters, I say that we should certainly pray for the Lord to save them. You see, the Lord knows, though we don't know what's going on, the Lord certainly knows what's going on. And he can save. Another reason why we should pray is that in Mark chapter 9, verse 29, if it is demon possession, Jesus himself said that some kind of demons are only driven out by prayer. But not only should we pray, we should also try to seek physical help because this person would be in need of physical help. They need to be restrained, need to have mental health as well. But then not only that, but we should also share the gospel with them because whether or not they're demon-possessed, the Lord knows. But we do know is that they need to be saved by God's grace through repenting and believing in Jesus Christ. And we know that as we preach, God will save his people. So the question is, do they need physical help? Absolutely. They also need the gospel just as much as we do. And so now let's, let's look at the community's response. Let's look again. Verse, verse 3 says, He lived in the tombs and no one was able to restrain him anymore. Verse 4 says, No one was strong enough to subdue him. You see, the response of the community was restrain him and subdue him. You see, it doesn't look like the community even thought that this man was possessed by a demon. And I say that because the only thing they tried to do was physically restrain him and contain him. And their attempt to restrain him isn't a bad one. You know, he's a threat to society. He's inflicting harm and pain. But the thing is, there was something deeper going on than just his supernatural strength. You see, the thing is that if one misdiagnosed the problem, then you will provide the wrong medicine that would not even cure the person. You see, by only trying to restrain and contain him, what they were doing is they were addressing fruit, but not the root. You see, there was something deeper going on. And if we're honest, how often... As Christians, when we are warring with sin and battling sin, how often do we only deal with fruit and not necessarily address the root? You see, as Christians, we won't ever be demon-possessed. When Christ saved us, God delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 makes known that when we heard the gospel, the word of truth, and believed in it, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 says that the Lord promises to strengthen and guard us from the evil one. So Christians, we cannot be possessed by demons. 
And though we can't be possessed by demons, we still war with the flesh and we can be ensnared in sin. And the question is, when ensnared, how are we like this community where we only deal with fruit, but not the root? Where we solely focus on changing external actions rather than addressing our hearts, rather than doing that and addressing our hearts. See, if a Christian who struggles with lust and watches pornography, if they only get the software filter, Covenant Eyes, which helps them to prevent exposure to sexual material. Now, I would say this is a very good thing because we want to make no provisions for our flesh to gratify its desires. But if this is the only thing, without focusing on the heart, then one is only dealing with fruit and not addressing the root. Or, say of a Christian who struggles with anxiety, and the only thing they do is they, they exercise, or they try to sleep it off, or they only get medication to help without examining the heart. You see, if one struggles with anxiety, it may be good to work out, it may be good to get rest. It may be good to get medication if that will help you love God and others. But to only do these things without examining the heart is dealing with the fruit and not addressing the root. See, may we also examine our own hearts and apply the gospel. What would that look like? Well, it can look like asking questions like, why am I anxious? Where is the Lord in this? Where am I banking my hope? You see, these questions get at the heart of what's going on, and it helps us to address the root. You see, we should not only deal with fruit, but we should also get to the heart and deal with the root. Well, let's say if a Christian struggles with envy or jealousy, and the only thing they do is delete their social media account rather than doing that and examining their hearts. Well, what would be happening is they would only be addressing the fruit, but not the root. So we can begin ask questions like, why am I jealous or envious? In what ways am I disbelieving God's goodness towards me because I don't have X? In what ways am I hoping in having X instead of hoping in the Lord? You see the thing, beloved? is that we must address our actions and our hearts. You see, in battling sin, may we not just focus on actions, but also our hearts and apply the gospel. And as you think through certain sin struggles in your own life, it'll be good to discuss with members of this church, asking them and thinking through, how am I only addressing the fruit and what can I be doing to also address the root? That way we can truly repent, repent deeply and walk in freedom. So may we not be like this community, only dealing with fruit, but may we also get to the heart and deal with the root. Look at verse six and seven. It says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him and he cried out with a loud voice, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, the son of the most high God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. And so Mark picks back up in the story and the demoniac sees Jesus, runs to him. But notice what he doesn't do. 
This violent demoniac, he's normally going crazy and attacking, but he does not attack Jesus. Rather, he comes and kneels before him. He prostrates himself before Jesus. What's happening here is it's as if an inferior inferior is bowing before their superior. And the thing is, he's probably never, ever kneeled before anyone else in this region. But he kneels before Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the son of God. He is God in the flesh. And the demons knew it. Look how the demons addressed him. He said, son of the most high God. You see, one of the things about demons is that they always get Jesus's identity right. They're always right when they address him and they address him according to his divinity, knowing that he is the son of God. And in this passage, it says that he is the son of the most high God, the most high God. It is a phrase that emphasizes the one true God's transcendence over pagan gods. In fact, it's seen throughout the scriptures, especially in the book of Daniel. You see, in Daniel chapter 3, when Nebuchadnezzar, he makes this edict that everyone must bow and worship this golden image when they hear these musical sounds. Well, what happened is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow down. And so Nebuchadnezzar, he orders for them to be thrown in a fiery furnace. Well, as they were in the fiery furnace, they were walking and the fire did not consume them. Well, in verse 27, Nebuchadnezzar saw it and he says, then he approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the most high God, come out. You see, in that moment, Nebuchadnezzar realized that, man, who they serve, the God that they serve is the one true God and he is not. And you see what he refers to him as? The most high God. In Acts chapter 16, when this demonic slave girl is following Paul and his companions, he, they are repeatedly crying out. She says this, these men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the most high God. Again, they are, this demon recognizes that only the, triune, only the one true God is the most high God, not these pagans and not these demons. And so here in this passage, the demon says that Jesus is the son of the most high God, getting at the fact that Jesus is God because he is God. And the demons knew that he had authority over them, so much so that the demon would say, I beg you before God, don't torment me. You see, they beg him not to punish them. They know that they don't stand a chance against Jesus. You see, they're stronger than the crowd, but they're no match for Jesus. You see, the human tormentor has become a scary cat before Jesus, and they know that one day they will be punished in the lake of fire. As we see in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, makes known that the lake of fire was prepared for Satan and his angels. And so they are fearful and don't want to be tormented. And in this section, we see the demons confront Jesus, but we also see that they're afraid because this confrontation will lead to Jesus casting them out. And so that's going to be our next scene where Jesus cast out the demons. Look at verse 7 and 8. 
where it says, And he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And so the demons plead for Jesus to not torment him because he has commanded the demon to come out of the man. And here we see that Jesus is far greater than the crowd who tried to stop this man. You see, Jesus possesses divine authority because he is God. What was impossible for the people to do, Jesus did by speaking. You see, not one person was strong enough to restrain or subdue him, yet Jesus speaks and the demon is subdued. You see, in the last section, it was impossible for the disciples to stop the great windstorm. But Jesus stilled it by speaking. And in this passage, it's impossible for the crowd to subdue the demoniac. But Jesus cast out the demon by speaking. You see, behold Jesus' authority where his speaking is his doing. He speaks, he commands, and the demon has to submit. Because he has that type of authority because he is God. Look at verses 9 and 10 where it says, What is your name? He asked him. My name is Legion, he answered him, because we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. And so Jesus, he begins a conversation with the demon. And where we learn in this is that this man wasn't just possessed by one demon, but he was possessed by many, a multitude of demons. And in fact, that's exactly what legion means, many, a large number, a multitude. And this legion of demons, they can speak as one because they functioned as one in torturing this man. And here, once again, we see the demons are begging Jesus. Look at verses 11 and 12. It says, a large crowd of herds was there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, send us to the pigs so that we may enter them. And so the demons, they see a large herd of pigs, which are unclean animals that the Jews were not to touch or eat. And they are begging Jesus once again. Here they are begging for permission to enter the demons. You see, like a student begging a teacher for permission to go to the restroom, here we see the demons begging Jesus for permission to enter the pigs. But the thing is, these demons are Jesus' enemies. And you don't normally beg your enemies. You oppose them. But they're no match for Jesus. And so rather than trying to oppose him, rather... They are begging and pleading for him not to destroy them and then also beg and plead for them to enter pigs. Look at verse 13. It says, he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out of the pigs and they came out of the man and enter the pigs. And so Jesus grants permission. They go into the pigs and look what happened immediately following them possessing the pigs. It says, the herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. You see, immediately after entering the pigs, they brought about the death of all 2,000 pigs. Not one lived. Well, why? It's because the demons labor for the destruction of all things, people and animals. 
They don't care. They hate people. They hate creation. And they will labor to bring about its own demise. You see, the demons are out of the man because Jesus cast them out. And so we saw the scene where Jesus cast out the demons, but now we will see the scene where he commissions the healed man. Look at verse 14, where it says, the men, who, the men who tended them ran off and reported it in the town and the countryside, and people went out to see what had happened. And so the pigs herdsmen, they witnessed the whole thing. And what did they do? They ran and told the whole hood about what just went down. You see, such news led everybody to come out and see for themselves. We'll look at verse 15. It says, they came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And so they come out, they arrive, and look what they saw. Saw Jesus, and they saw the former demoniac. You see, the whole hood recognized him. And for the first time in a long time, they saw him behaving differently. He is sitting at Jesus' feet. He's not running around. He's not howling or cutting himself. He's just sitting there. The scripture says that he, he's sitting there, but not only is he sitting there, but it says that he is dressed. He is clothed. And this is important because in Luke's account, it states that when he was a demoniac, when the demon possessed him, he was naked. But he's no longer naked, but rather he is fully Clothed, and not only is he sitting there and clothed, but he is also in his right mind. You see, he is no longer insane in his membrane, but rather he is rational. He is sane and he is thinking straight. Y'all, if you combine this together, what we would say is that this is conversion. This man has been saved by Jesus Christ no longer possessed by a demon, but rather he has been delivered from that, sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed, in his right mind. This man is saved. Y'all behold the transforming work of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus has healed this man and transformed his life. And in fact, this is what Jesus came to do as he brought the kingdom of God near. You see, he restores what sin and Satan has distorted and ruined. And we who are in Christ, we can testify about Jesus' saving power. You see, the story of Jesus healing a demoniac, it's like our story. You see, just as the demoniac couldn't heal himself, well, we also couldn't save ourselves. Now, we may not have been possessed by demons, but we who are in Christ were once God's enemies and we were spiritually dead. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 3 will say it this way. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. 
You see, this is the condition of those who don't know Jesus. And for we who are in Christ, this was once our condition. We couldn't save ourselves. We were God's enemies. But yet the good news is that that's no longer our condition. As John read in our scriptural assurance of pardon, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, 4 and 5 is great news, where it says this, But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love that he has for us, he made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. You see, when we were spiritually dead, God intervened. Just as in this passage, Jesus intervened and saved this man. Well, the question for us is like, how did God save us? Well, he saved us by sending his only son, the Lord Jesus, who came, the son came to earth and he became a man and Jesus perfectly obeyed the law and he died on the cross in our place and for our sins. And three days later, he resurrected from the grave and he saves all who turn from sin and trust in him. You see, what God did is that God in his grace united us to Christ and saved us. You see, just as Jesus saved the former demoniac, so too Jesus has saved us from our sins. You see, the former demoniac isn't who he used to be. It's because of the mercy of God so too we're not who we used to be. Not because our works, but because of the mercy of God. And if you're not a Christian, I am glad that you are here today. And I would encourage you to behold the power of Jesus Christ. He is God and he possesses authority, not just over demons, but he has the authority to save all who trust in him. I would exhort you today, Turn from your sin and trust in him and be saved. I invite you to talk to any of the members after service. They would love to talk to you about the gospel if you want to know more. And so here we see that the crowd, they see the man. And look how they responded. Look at verse 15, where it says, And they were afraid. They were alarmed, fearful, similar to how the disciples were afraid after Jesus calmed the storm. Well, here we see the crowd was also afraid. In verses 16 and 17, it says, those who had seen and described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. Then they began to beg him to leave their region. So they hear about how Jesus cast out the demons. They hear about the pigs. And look how they responded. Not faith. Not receiving Jesus. But they rejected him. They see evidence of his power. Yet they reject him. Look at what he has done. He has healed the man. He has authority over demons. In fact, the thing is, Jesus only uses his authority for the good of others. You see, he is the servant king who came to serve. They should have believed in him. They should have trusted him. But rather than doing that, they begged him to leave their region. You see, they want absolutely nothing to do with Jesus. 
Look at verse 18. And it says that he got into the boat. The man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. And so Jesus, he submitted to their request. And now what we see is that the healed man, he is begging that he might be with Jesus. See, notice in this passage that everyone begged Jesus. The demons begged Jesus three times. The crowd begged Jesus. And now this healed man is begging Jesus. Now, of all the begging that's happening in this passage, this is the right kind of begging. Why? Because he wanted to be with Jesus. Like how Jesus chose the 12 apostles to be with him. Well, this man, this healed man, wanted to be discipled by Jesus. He wanted to learn from Jesus. He wanted to be with him. And this is the fitting response of one who has been saved by Jesus. You see, we who have been saved by Jesus, we desire to get to know him and we want to be with him. We want to follow him all of our days because he is Lord, because he has saved us, and because we love him in response to his love for us. Look at verse 19. It says, Jesus did not let him, but told him, go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him And they were all amazed. You see, maybe to our surprise, Jesus denied this man's request. But he had a different assignment for him. He commissioned the man to proclaim to his own people what the Lord had done for him. Now, many may wonder, why would Jesus deny the healed man the opportunity to follow him? And ultimately, we don't know. There could be some speculation. Some may say that it could be because this man was a Gentile and it could hinder his ministry to the Jews. Others may think, and I tend to lean this direction, so it could be that since Jesus was rejected in the region, who he is and what he has done will still be proclaimed in the region because of this man. Ultimately, we don't know, and yet Jesus rejected him, and it's for the man's good. But not only did Jesus deny him this request, but he commissioned the man. And y'all, this is unique because when Jesus heals a person, he normally commands them to be silent. And yet what Jesus has done here is that he commissioned him to go home and proclaim what the Lord has done. Why would Jesus switch it up now? Well, it could be because we... We're in a Gentile region. They're in a Gentile region. And since he has been rejected, Jesus wants them to hear and know about him and what he has done. That the work that Jesus has done is a work from the Lord and a mercy of God. And so Jesus commissioned this man. And just as Jesus has commissioned this man, well, after he died and resurrected from the grave and ascended, he has commissioned his church to take the gospel to the ends of the earth where we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, that people may turn from their sin and trust in him and be saved. And this is what we do every Sunday. As we gather, we preach Christ. And it's what we encourage as we scatter. We have evangelism conversations. We are seeking to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, wanting people to hear about it, wanting people to know him and come to the gathering and repent and believe and be saved. So saints, 
May we be faithful in obeying the Lord Jesus and preaching the gospel. Now, for our round third and head home, let's examine a little more closely where Jesus commissioned the man to go first. Look again. He said to him, go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. You see, he told him to go home to his family and friends and proclaim what the Lord has done and the mercy that he showed. You see, Jesus tells him to start with his own home. Share with your family, with your people. And friends, we can learn a lot from this command. You see, one of the things we can ask ourselves is, have we shared our own personal testimony with friends and family? Have we shared the gospel with family? I know that it can be awkward and it can be hard, but may we not let awkwardness keep us from sharing the greatest news ever. May we pray and look for opportunities to share the gospel. And not only that, Jesus says, start with your home. You see, we who are in Christ, may we share in our homes. Well, what would it look like to share in our homes? Well, let's start with husbands. Share with your wife what the Lord has done. Wash your wife with the word continuously, sharing the word with them. But not only husbands, but also fathers. Start with your home. Fathers, tell your children what the Lord has done. Lead your family in family worship and read the word of God with them. Do this consistently as you share with your home what the Lord has done and who he is. And single people with roommates, I would exhort you to tell your roommates about what the Lord has done. Tell them about who Jesus is. Share the gospel with them. Share your personal testimony with them and share with them continuously, repeatedly, and prayerfully what the Lord has done. And if they don't know Jesus, be all the more diligent to do it. That they may hear and prayerfully repent and believe and be saved. You see, Jesus, he commissioned the healed man and the healed man obeyed Jesus. As we see, it says that he proclaimed throughout the Decapolis what Jesus has done. Notice that Jesus said, share with your people what the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And notice that this man, he went out and he proclaimed what Jesus has done for him. You see, for the healed man, Jesus and the Lord is the same person. Because Jesus is Lord. He is the Son of the Most High God. And it is he who the healed man proclaimed. It is he who we also proclaim. And so who then is this? It is Jesus. He is Jesus. He is the one who subdues demons. He is God. He is the Savior. He is Lord. He is the one who shows mercy. He is the one who came and died and resurrected and ascended and who will one day return. He is the one who we proclaim and implore people to trust in. He is the one who will one day return and destroy Satan and the demons. He is the one who will consummate his kingdom when he returns. 
He is the one who we will one day worship throughout eternity, saying, worthy is the lamb who is slain. He is Jesus. And the proper response to him is to trust in him and follow him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for your kindness, your love, and your mercy. You sent your son to save us from our sins, to reconcile us to you. God, it's amazing to know that how we were once spiritually dead and your enemies, you have reconciled us. You have made us alive and saved us by your grace. Oh, Father, we pray that like the healed man, that we would, in response to the gospel, go out and share with others about who you are and what you have done. God, that we would worship you and we would pray that people would receive you and we would long to be with you. We pray that that day will be soon. We will be with you for all of eternity. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.